Welcome to Living with a Disability, No Big Deal. This podcast is for people who want to learn how to thrive with a disability. It is also designed to share insights for those who have friends or family with a disability. Brad Gabrielson, our host, was born with cerebral palsy and uses a wheelchair for mobility. He is a North Dakota native and believes life is about managing challenges with understanding, mental toughness, and determination. Welcome to another episode of Living with a Disability No Big Deal podcast. My name is Brad Gabrielson, and the guy we're going to be talking with today is Greg Moore. He's a representative of Roller Ramp. The Roller Ramp is a corporation based in West Fargo that's our major sponsor of this podcast. How are you doing, Greg? I am fantastic, Brad. How are you doing today? Yes. Perfect. Absolutely stunning. It's a Monday. Great to be alive, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. And it's a great day. It's a great day for the weather to be 92 degrees in North Dakota, isn't it? Very, very hot indeed. Well, let's get into it. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, MS, Brad. Although we've done a lot and a lot of subjects and a lot of neat and real neat stuff, We've not done one on uh, MS, otherwise known as multiple sclerosis. Did you know that, Brad? That we haven't done one on multiple sclerosis. No, we've done a lot of them, but I didn't. I thought we did, but evidently we didn't because uh, now that I think back, I don't think we did. Yeah, and it's odd because, uh, you know, it is a very. not a very common, but a very well-known uh, disease, as it were. Um, some of the times it's congenital, but I think it's actually considered a uh, a disease, is it not? Yeah, I believe so. I believe it's a, what is it, a muscular dis- disorder and disease? No, you're thinking of muscular dystrophy now, Brad. Oh, so no, you're not, yeah. Mixed up a lot. I hope I'm not the only one to get it mixed up. But Well, I think you need to probably be a little more aware of uh, what's going on because the reason I say that is it's actually a disease that has to do uh, with the brain. Okay. Uh, multiple sclerosis is a disorder or a disease where the nerve fibers in the central nervous system, they all have a coating on them. Think of it uh, as a wire, they say. And with a wire, you have a insulation or a coating on the outside, right? Right, it leads through it. And then on the inside, you have the wire. Let's think of that as the actual nerve. Well, with nerves, I guess that outside is called myelin, myelin. And in people that have MS, what happens is that myelin or that insulation, insulator on the outside breaks down and exposes the nerve. Now, when that happens, they say that the signals don't get where they're supposed to go. In other words, they get crossed? 
They don't go where they're supposed to go. And so what happens is you've got a condition where you've got, actually, to me, it seems like it's almost uh, similar to a spinal cord injury. Um, so actually, when I say it's similar to a spinal cord injury, what I mean is the folks at home can't see the screen here, but you can. And what I've kind of shown here is that in a normal nerve fiber, you've got like the fiber in the middle, like fiber optics. And then on the outside, you have a sheath, right? Mm -hmm. Well, let's say that it's a, a condition of the central nervous system. So it'd be the brain and the spinal cord. All right. So just uh, for reference for, for everybody, the spinal cord is part of the central nervous system. The spinal cord is controlled by the brain. And when you have a spinal cord injury, like I have, for example, uh, the vertebrae in your back, the vertebrae, if you get in an accident and one of those or more is crushed, tears the spinal cord, which is like a rubber band, basically, inside those vertebrae. It's not very, you know, very hard to damage as I learned, is that if it tears it or cuts it in half, everything from there down that's controlled by that, by that location of the vertebrae, for example, the lower down in your back that you have a spinal cord injury, whether it's just a incomplete, meaning it's not cut, or that it's cut, the better off that you are or the more function that you'll have. Now, we can't pull up charts and stuff and diagrams, but the spinal cord basically is a number of vertebrae running from the, you know, the skull down to the tailbone. And you have the cervical, the thoracic, the lumbar, and the, what are they called, the uh, sciatic or... What's the sciatic uh, nerve is where you're the very bottom ones. Anyway, I don't remember what those are specifically called, but anyway, from each of those vertebrae are nerves that come out to the left and to the right. And those nerves will feed different parts of the body. Okay. So for example, I have a spinal cord injury at the T12. What does T12 mean? Well, other people that have a spinal cord injury will say, what level are you? It means what level of uh, vertebrae is your injury? And I am a T12. So that's a thoracic. So the, cervic, the cervical has like seven. The thoracic has 12. The lumbar, I believe, has six. And there, then you have the other ones at the bottom. So mine is T12, which means the thoracic 12. So go down six from your, from the top of the back of your neck there, go down seven, and then go down 12 more. And that will put you almost in the center of your torso. So that's where my injury is. And what they call that, they call that a lesion, a lesion. L-E-S-I-O-N, lesion. So a lesion 
will be a spot that's you know broken or there's a wound or there's something right a lesion right and so again i have limited movement of my lower extremities because it's a t12 it's not complete which means it wasn't severed otherwise i would have no movement or feeling similar to ms depending upon where in the spinal cord that lesion happens to show itself that's the level of your of the damage so from there down so for most people uh, it looks like with ms they have uh, lower extremity issues and that would be numbness or weakness in one or more limbs that typically occurs on one side of the body at a time or your legs or trunk so it could be in your arms it could be you know in your legs or your trunk and also what comes along with that is a tremor and a lack of coordination and coordination or an unsteady gait so I've worked with somebody who did have uh, MS and she was walking at the time and she walked like she had, she could have had a spinal cord injury where she still had some movement in her legs. It almost looked like Brad, she could have had probably CP, right? Cerebral palsy. Yeah. Cause sometimes they're pretty, uh, you know, you're, that's almost the same way sometimes. Yeah, depending upon the type of CP, you know, like whether it's spastic or whether it's um, ataxic. Ataxic, yep, which is again a uh, a balance issue, right? Right. That's, uh, where, that's where people walk like they're drunk when they're sober. Yep. And then you have uh, the other type, which is more of the scissor legs walk walk on your tiptoes and that's uh we had that gentleman on what was his name richard no that was uh kevin kevin your friend kevin and uh, so that wasn't spastic and it wasn't ataxic what was that again that was that was um, where the knees were like the uh yeah they get like a a spider web well i will surely think of it but essentially you know you really can't tell by somebody the way they're walking, no. you know, what, what they may have for sure. But there are also some things that come along with it. Now, vision problems, they said, are common too. No, I didn't know that, Brad. But it says that you can have a partial or complete loss of vision, usually in one eye at a time, often with pain during eye movement. Mm -hmm. So prolonged double vision or blurry vision. Also, the symptoms of multiple sclerosis may include slurred speech, fatigue, dizziness, tingling, numbness, or pain in parts of your body. I think they call that neuropathy, don't they, Brad? I believe so, yes. Problems with sexual, bowel, and bladder function. So... It just seems like there's so many of them that cross over into like a spinal cord injury, essentially because the lesion on the spinal cord or in the brain, I would imagine that if it's a slurred speech, that that probably would be a lesion in the brain, would it not? 
I would, I would think so, yes. Now, I kind of knew this, that most people with MS have a relapsing, remitting disease course. In other words, they experience periods of new symptoms or relapses that develop over days or weeks and usually improve partially or completely. So some people, if they have balance or, or walking problems, they can relapse or uh, they can uh, remit into a state where they will lose partially or even, or even those symptoms completely, followed by quiet periods of disease remission. So it looks like they can go into remission for months, even years. Yes. It would be nice to get somebody on the podcast, Brad, that, uh, that actually has MS. And I do know, uh, otherwise we'll just you know, have the conversation here and then we can have like a part two. But according to this report, which is basically from Mayo here that I'm referencing in an article here, uh, basically off their website on mayo.org, it says that uh, at least half of those um, that have those relapsing, remitting MS eventually develop a steady progression of symptoms with or without periods of remission within 10, 10 to 20 years of disease onset. This is known as secondary progressive MS. So um, I imagine primary progressive MS would be that it's, it's the onset is right when you get the, uh, the disease. Um, the worsening of symptoms usually includes problems with mobility and gait. And gait uh, is, the, is the walking function. Uh, the rate of disease progression varies greatly. So do you know personally, Brad, anybody that, Oh, uh, yeah, uh, Polly's aunt had MS. She had it or has it? Had it, she passed away. Oh, she passed away, okay. Some of the complications may also develop muscle stiffness or spasms, paralysis typically in the legs. I mean, so right there, that could be CP, right? Yeah, the symptoms are there just like CP. And muscle stiffness and spasms? Yes. Of, you know, paralysis, partial paralysis, or it could be like I have spasms and I have stiffness in my uh, lower legs and I have so uh, paralysis. I. So, so do I. I, um, I have stiffness and uh, I have a lot of spasticity. So. Uh, problems with bladder, bowel, or sexual function, and that certainly can come with the uh, spinal cord. Mental changes such as forgetfulness or mood swings, depression and epilepsy uh, sometimes also can uh, develop as well along with that. So, yes. so it's basically a challenging situation and yes. there really is no cure at all. Nope. Uh, just so people are aware, MS is considered an autoimmune disease, Brad. So unlike CP, which is a birth uh, event, yes. It's considered an autoimmune disease in which the body's immune system attacks its own tissues. So with MS, the immune system destroys the fatty substance that protects the nerve fibers. And that's that coating we talked about uh, in the brain and spinal cord. So, so when that's damaged, the messages that travel along that nerve fiber, right, may be slowed or maybe blocked off altogether. They still don't know why MS develops in some people and not others. They say it could be a combination of genetics and environmental factors. So when you look at... Like the weather? 
if you look at, yeah, you look at genetics, okay, um, that's one thing, of course, because if one of your parents or siblings have it, if they've had it, right, you're at a higher risk. But then they say climate, climate, Brad. Yep. MS is far more common in countries with temperate or moderate climates, including Canada, the northern United States, New Zealand, Southeastern Australia, and Europe. Now that, did you know it? Did you know that? I, I knew from um, experience that the weather had a lot to do. If you live in cold climate, it's a little rougher. But I'm amazed that like uh, Australia, for example, because Australia is not really cold like it is here in North Dakota. You wouldn't think. No, and it's it's with uh, temperate or moderate climates. Yeah, isn't temperate the same thing as moderate? You would, I I think so, but maybe not. But then I also realized too that temperate down below down below. uh, Yeah, mild temperatures. A region or climate characterized by mild temperatures. The mild temperatures. Yeah. I thought colder temperatures would be rougher. Boy, am I mistaken. What places have a temperate? Most of the European countries. Canada. Well, Canada is kind of cold, though. Yeah, I don't know if I would say that's temperate. but And it says northern United States. Yeah. I wouldn't think that uh, northern United States would be considered temperate. Uh, so are we we would be we would be temperate then, right? Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota. Well, mild temperatures. Well, today it's almost hundred this summer. Mm-hmm. In the winter, it's twenty to thirty <laughs> below zero. <laughs> so when you average that out, yeah, it's temperate, but not when you're living here, right? Right, because you got six months of cold weather. It seems like, and about three months worth of summer. It seems like you know. But an average now to be about the same, but well, maybe not. Let's not take Minnesota, North Dakota, because uh, it's, def- it's defined as having a moderate climate, which especially lacks extremes in temperature. So that's not us. That would be like Colorado, maybe Montana, New Jersey, you know, places like that. Illinois, I don't know, places like that. I suppose because we're way out. We're way out during the. Summer. We're yeah. We're we're outside the box when it comes to uh, cold weather. Yeah, we're uh, we're way down below zero. We're way above zero. We basically mm-hmm. the uh, the meteorologists in our town they basically have all gone insane and thrown up their arms and left. So we have no mm-hmm. meteorologists because they have no idea of what to choose for the uh, like. It's like the wheel of fortune around here on. Uh, on the weather. By this weekend, it's supposed to be 20 degrees cooler. Really? Yeah. But I don't I don't see how that happening, how they can go from, you know, it says here's about vitamin D. Uh, well, it says here that if you having low levels of vitamin D and low exposure to sunlight is associated with a greater risk. I better go outside. You better go outside in the winter. Well, I bought this winter now. I bought what's called a, uh, in fact, what do they call that? 
It's a uh, that, that moonlight you got that light that it's like light therapy light. Yeah. 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 That's what to help. I think do. Yeah, and it yeah, essentially, it's a light, like a lamp, but it's got a screen like a computer, and you turn it on. It's usually got two settings, and the light is pretty bright. Okay, similar Mm -hmm. to a fluorescent light, but it's not fluorescent light. It's a light that essentially don't look straight at it, but it has to have exposure to your eyes. And apparently what the claim is, is that it does have a, a mood lifting ability because in uh, winter when you're closed in and you don't get any sunshine, that can lead to seasonal affective disorder. And it also says, then it also says smokies. Well, here we go. That's my downfall. Yeah. And uh, it says here, uh, smokers will experience the initial event of symptoms uh, that, that, that may signal MS are more likely, likely than non-smokers to develop a second event that confirms relapse remitting MS. Ah. All right, so in other words, perhaps you've got numbness in your left leg or tingling. And you say, it lasted a few days. Do I have MS? But yet it went away. What they're saying here is that folks such as you, Brad, who haven't, some maybe have an initial event are more likely to develop a second event that confirms that you will have the remitting and relapsing MS. And then also uh, certain autoimmune diseases that you might have already, um, slightly higher risk if you have other immune disorders such as thyroid disease, pernicious anemia, psoriasis, type one diabetes, or inflammatory bowel disease. Now, I believe you have inflammatory bowel disease, don't you, Brad? Because uh, of what I've experienced after feeding you uh, cheese-laced yeah, breakfast yeah, biscuits, or is that, I, 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 I is that a, not actually I have, IBS? I have a, um, a lactose intolerance, and cheese and I don't get along too good. <laughs> so, but not IBS? Not that I'm aware of. But, okay. But um, it's still a rough event when... You know, eat cheese or you know, drink milk. I have to drink, uh, um, I have to drink a lot of uh, um, like those free milk. So, but then it says your race, too. It says white people, particularly those of northern European descent, are at the highest risk of developing MS. Yes. Native Americans, right? Huh? And also Native Americans, correct? No, no, no. Whereas people of Asian, African, or Native American descent have the lowest risk. risk. So when we're looking at Northern Europe, 
We're looking at Norwegians, yep, that's me. Scandinavians, yep. uh, the Danish, the Finns, places like that have the um, possibly into Germany. Yep. And of course, that would mesh with the uh, temperate or moderate climate uh, there as well. Yes. And also, it also says that uh, women are two to three times as likely as men are to have relapsing MS. The only people that I know that have MS are both women. The people that I don't have that are MS as well. So. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> so. It almost seems that it really has no... It's an autoimmune disease, such as what uh, Jennifer had when we did the uh, Uncharted Territory of Disabilities podcast, where she has an autoimmune disease, but they really have no idea why it's there. That must be frustrating. You know, that the doctors can't figure it out. Figure it out. Yeah. That must be very frustrating. So, and then also... Well, I guess I do know a gentleman that has MS. What's that? I guess I, I do know a gentleman that has MS. Yeah. Uh, but when he has those, when he has those episodes where it gets really bad, he really has problems. Yeah. I guess there's probably uh, treatments or some kind of, um, what would you call it, therapeutics? Do you think that chamber episode that we talked about on a podcast, do you think something like that would help? I'm just curious. That generates, that generates, uh, helps the healing process. Would that, would that help? I mean, I'm just, because that's a great uh, breakthrough through as far as, you know, if we, if we can help with other uh, like healing the wound and stuff like that, it should be able to heal. Probably not uh, make it better, but you know, make it a lot easier to live with. You know what I mean? It probably won't cure it, but it probably would probably would uh, make it uh, a little easier to cope with. Whatever. Yeah, it would seem to uh, to be the case here, indeed. It does, in fact, produce some kind of uh, some kind of benefit because uh, they they want you to know that it's not a cure. Of course, there is no cure. Mm-hmm. Usefulness of it is like what you said to stabilize the patient's condition and improve their quality of life. Many people suffering from MS report improvements in their overall symptoms and their abilities after hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Patients have reported improvements in their ataxia which is their balance type stuff, right? Yep. Numbness in their fingers and hands. Yep. Balance, visual fields, concentration, pain, weakness, and dizziness. It has been shown that very often improvement can be achieved in bladder bowel disorders. So how does it actually, how does it actually um, help MS? Well, it says here that the therapy produces vasoconstriction. What is that? Well, causes the dilated leaky blood vessels in MS to constrict back towards normal size. It also reduces the internal swelling 
due to fluid gathering, which can lead to nerve cells dying. Mm. Some drugs can force your blood vessels to blood vessels to constrict too, you know, Brad, but, yeah. um, but they typically also reduce the amount of oxygen tissues get. So it looks like, it looks like there was a study here done in Scotland that showed that with the inflammation that comes along with MS, that the transportation of oxygen is severely limited by tissue swelling. So when the tissue swells, of course, it's not able to, to transport oxygen. So it looks like the ox hyperbaric oxygen can play an extremely effective role in the treatment of MS. In European countries, of course, HBOT is now considered an integral part of the MS treatment program. In Britain alone, over 10,000 MS patients have received hyperbaric oxygen therapy from the more than 60 MS national therapies. So it looks here that it looks like here that if you notice the symptoms of MS, it says that hyperbaric therapy should start as soon as practical and preferably before irreversible lesions have become established. This does not mean that patients with long-term MS will not benefit, but it does mean time is a factor. So one of the things would be be aware of the warning signs. Yep. Uh, but how long does it last? Well, it says here that researchers demonstrated significant objective improvements in 70% of those treated. So seven out of 10. One year after treatment ended, almost nine out of 10 of those patients who benefited, benefited from the therapy maintained their improvements, Brad. One year after treatment. That's great. So they probably have to come in once a year then, probably, right? Well, I don't know about that. Typically, when you do a, an oxygen, a hyperbaric oxygen therapy, you do like, I think it's 12 sessions or something like that. We had a guest on, uh, Tyler Anderson, uh, yeah. who was uh, familiar with that. And I believe that there's somewhere between 12 and 20 sessions as, you know, as a, uh, as a program, you know, to go all the way through it. So it's probably talking about one course of treatments, but it just goes to show you that the hyperbaric oxygen therapy that we talked about really is beneficial for just about anything that you might be going through. Certainly doesn't look like it's hurtful. My wife uh, has been told that she doesn't have arthritis in her, in her knees, but they are extremely sore all the time and they hurt. And so perhaps this oxygen therapy would be good for, for that as well, but that's going off topic a little bit at that point. But anyway, certainly a struggle. I know that uh, mus there's a uh, muscular uh, multiple sclerosis society. Um, I think probably Brad that you are um, aware of as well. Yep. The site for that MS society is the national MS society dot org and that site essentially has a lot of things to offer as far as figuring out you know what are the symptoms what's the diagnosis how is it treated you know resources and support you know how to how to live well with with the disease so i think there's a lot of research really that's been uh, that's been ongoing for quite a while and i think a, 
a lot of it uh, with the research here looks like the initiatives that they fund are stop, restore, and end. So stop disease progression, restore what's been lost, and end MS forever. What's, what's been lost is the restore. Right. It looks like there's actually more therapies, it looks like, in development today than, than ever in history. Yes. And it looks like the variety is quite extensive as well, mostly for those with relapsing forms. For, uh, for some, they reduce the number and severity of attacks and slows disease activity. Okay, so there's a lot of studies going on that uh, there's increasing understanding. Here's some interesting from the site. There's increasing understanding that malfunctioning mitochondria, which I have learned about this in the brain, is that mitochondria are the energy producers of the brain, the battery packs. So if you don't have mitochondria that's malfunctioning, you're going to have some issues with the brain there. I'll just read kind of here, identifying the causes here of, of, uh, of multiple sclerosis and the underlying mechanisms and the pathways involved in MS injury to the brain and spinal cord, clarifying the destruction and protective roles of the adaptive and innate immune system, determining the causes of tissue injury at different stages of the disease, determining how evolving MRI sequences relate to pathological changes, ensuring access to human central nervous system tissues and cells from MS patients and healthy controls for gaining a thorough understanding, developing better tools that allow better decision-making and personalized medicine. It looks like there are a number of treatments that can be done. I'm just kind of curious about what the uh, the therapeutics might offer in terms of uh, treatment for the, you know, for the symptoms and whether there's actually like a medication. Most neurologists agree that a course of high dose corticosteroids is the best treatment for a severe MS relapse. Some kind of a prednisone is typically given in three or five day courses. So for example, they use a process called infusion. Have you ever had infusion, Brad? I haven't known myself. Yeah, well, my wife had it when she was going through her liver transplant. And infusion is when they hook you up to, um, they put a needle in your arm. Just like uh, you're in the hospital when they do that type thing. So they give you the stick and then they'll put, like they'll hang a bag and... They'll actually oh, like, a, like one of those uh, one of those uh, saline uh, bags that you do when you're dehydrated or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. Only they they might put this or that or the other thing in there. Okay, but the medications or the uh, or the uh, whatever the treatment that they're having. So in this case, it's like a mega dose of uh, steroids. And of course, steroids reduces what? Inflammation, right, Smiley? <laughs> huh? <laughs> Smiling is always a good treatment. Yep. And herbal treatments too, man. 
Yeah, what do you know about that, Brad? Vitamin does move. I mean, I know when, even with um, my uh, my Polly Don took a lot of vitamins. She and so did so did my mom with Blue Garrett disease for some reason. She took a lot of vitamins. Well, now we're talking herbal here. Yeah. As being used as kind of a symptomatic. Okay. Right. Yeah. So it says valerian, which is a root, St. John's wort, ginkgo biloba, echinacea, and kava kava. Now, of course, the FDA does not test the effectiveness in herbals because they don't believe in it. And we can talk about that, I guess, but uh, typically the FDA is, is in it more for drugs, for pharmaceutical companies. The pharmaceutical companies aren't going to make a lot of money if people are using herbal solutions and they're very big uh um uh, very big uh they go in and, and uh, advocate for their product to the government too so yeah very big on that so. now one of the herbal supplements is valerian it's made from the roots it's been used for over a thousand years it says here now, you know that that has been used for treatment of insomnia, okay? That's a very common, says here, it's a common symptom in people with MS. Also for, um, they suggest that it's prob probably effective in uh, treating psychiatric conditions, including depression and anxiety, and in spasticity. It is safe and well-tolerated, although it may cause sedation, headache, dizziness, so certainly an interesting conversation here today. I think we need to probably effort getting uh, somebody on that actually has it. I just wanted to touch on it because I think it it does uh, good to bring awareness to the uh, to the disease, so that you know everybody might know somebody or or uh, or know about the disease, but they don't really are not that familiar with it. So I hope we've shed a little light on actually what it is. And what it affects. And it's amazing uh, that uh, uh, the hard part is the. Uh, it took her a while. It took uh, the people that I know a while to figure out what it is. You know. So. Yeah, because it isn't like you all of a sudden are like, "Oh, I've got it. That's it. I know it." Right. Because it's the symptoms, the various list of symptoms that all of a sudden you kind of start eliminating. Well, it definitely is a little bit difficult, but uh, Brad, why don't you go ahead and, and sign us off today? I think we uh, can wrap it up for now and we will uh, reconvene on the other side. Thanks folks. Thank you for listening to another episode of Living with a Disability, No Big Deal podcast. Um, thank you very much for listening and God bless. Thank you for listening to this episode of Living with a Disability, No Big Deal. Sponsored by Rollaramp, this podcast features Brad Gabrielson, who encourages everyone with a disability to live life to the fullest. Rollaramp is a global company based in North Dakota, dedicated to helping people find solutions to accessibility needs. We hope you'll join us again next time on Living with a Disability, No Big Deal.